Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Last week, we began a new sermon series um, that really has the potential to be life-changing for us, life-changing for you as a person, life-changing for us as a church, life-changing inside of our relationship with Jesus. As we began to look at prayer, we began to look at this idea of prayer, but specifically looking at some places in Scripture where a person would, would cry out to God, would speak to God, would pray to God, would, would have a moment where, where they would speak what we would maybe, if, if we were to able to take these things and, and have them become our heart's cry, if we had them become a reflection of ourselves and, and how we want to understand our relationship with God, maybe a little bit dangerous. We're calling the series Dangerous Prayers because we're looking at, at these places in Scripture where if we actually pray them, where if we actually say, this, this is my heart, God, would you do this in me? It's going to shake us. It's going to challenge us. It's going to change us. It's inviting God to come and do some very significant and deep work in our lives to, to show us things that we may not know, to change our hearts and, and the way we see ourselves and how we see ourselves fitting into to, to the world and to God's kingdom and to what God is doing, to, to invite him to work in our lives, maybe in ways we've never even thought of. Something that's never crossed my mind before. But if I invite God to come and work in my life, all of a sudden there's thoughts in my brain that maybe I've never even considered before. But it might be something God has for me. To invite him to use us in ways that are not maybe natural for us. That we look at ourselves and our own giftings and say, I wouldn't be very good at that. But yet somehow I feel the calling of God to be a part of that. It's a time where we're inviting God to, to come and work in our lives in a fresh way, to, to shake us out of our lives now and give us a new vision and a new perspective on, on who we are in God. And, and last week, we began this journey by looking at when Jesus taught us to pray. What did he say that our hearts should be? When Jesus taught us to pray, what, what, were we, what was our heart towards our Father supposed to be? And Jesus challenged us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That he challenged that it's not about what I want. It's not about my will. It's not about what it is that, that I want God to do. But instead coming to God and, and maybe saying, God, th this, is, this is what I'd like to see. But God, your will be done. And, and the, the danger in that is that we're giving up control. 
We're giving up the control of, of, of who we are and, and what we want to see and what we believe is right and what we believe should take place. And we're, we're putting our trust and our hope and our faith and our belief and, and our future in the hands of our Heavenly Father and, and saying, God, do with this what you would do. And trusting and believing that, that he's going to, to do what's right in our lives. And today, uh, the, what we're going to look at this morning is, is almost the other side of that equation, not, not the opposite, but, but one is God's will be done, and, and this is our sort of heart in that towards ourselves, that we turn our attention towards God and say, your will be done, but the other part of that equation is still us. And so how does our heart in that look? And so today we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6. Now, to give us some context for our passage today, um, Isaiah is a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. If you found Isaiah in, the, in your Bible, if you kind of open your Bible almost to the middle, you might fall right open to Isaiah. It's kind of right in the middle of your book, page number-wise, um, depending on your, on your Bible um, and how much extra uh, things that your Bible might have in there. But Isaiah was a prophet sent by God. A prophet was somebody who would speak on behalf of God. And this was an, an Old Testament idea where, where God would speak really predominantly through a person. And he would speak to the nation. And is, Isaiah was the one who was determined to do that. And in, in Isaiah's lifetime, as he was speaking to the nation of Israel, he was speaking to a nation of people who's turned their back on God. That, that they, I guess they haven't really rejected God as much as they've become essentially kind of numb to, to the idea of God. And so they, they, it's not that they're, they're, practi they're not practicing, it's not that they've walked away from, from making sacrifices in the temple and doing the things that they're supposed to do, but it's that they've walked away from all of the meaning in it. And we can become like that, right? Where, where we know the right things to do, we know the right answers to say, we know what it is that we're supposed to do, but, but there can be times and seasons in our lives where because we know the right answer, we can stop to live out the right answer. That I can say, oh, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's impacting my life. And they had completely become completely numb to just sort of the, the severity of their sin and their less than praiseworthy to decisions. And, and they didn't really care. They just kind of not walked away from God in rejection, but kind of walked away from God in complacency. And... And so God needs to speak to his people. Because even in their rebellion and even in their complacency, God still cares for his people. And he wants to reach them with his love. And, and so God's looking to send his people a message. And this is where we meet Isaiah. He was deliver here. He was going to be called to deliver a message of accountability, and so we read in Isaiah chapter six that Isaiah receives this vision from God unveiled before his eyes. He has sort of this one-on-one -on -one interaction encounter with God, and so we read this. It will say, "In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple." Above him were seraphim. Seraphim is, is another word for angels. There's a whole other thing that we could get into about that. We're not going to get into that this morning. Um, but just so you know, if you're wondering what a seraphim is, it's an angel. Each with six wings. 
With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with the other two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with its, or filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah sees this incredible picture where, where he's taken to the throne room of God and he sees God sitting on his throne surrounded by angels and the, the angels are praising God and, and the, the, the room begins to shake. The roof and the walls and the doorposts begin to shake because of the prayer. You know, my watch was telling us we were loud this morning, but I, maybe the walls were shaking a little bit, but, but this, this was a real shaking that was taking place. And Isaiah stands and as he's, he's confronted with this vision of God and who God is and, and what this worship of God looks like. He begins to reflect on himself and his, his presence in this moment. That, that as he's seeing this moment, he suddenly realizes one of these things is not like the other. And he begins to, to see himself. The magnitude of, of what he's seeing causes him to realize who he is and his own sin. And, and a sense of doom and a sense of fear overcome him. After all, how, how could a sinless person see this, experience this, and not die? We read in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken, the tong or which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Verse 7, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt has been taken away, and your sin atoned for. Isaiah has this moment of realization about himself, and who he is, and what happens when us in our sinful fallen nature come face to face with a God who is the definition of holy. But what we read about is, is that this angel comes and, and takes a live burning coal from, from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips with it. And this, this is significant because the altar was the place where, where people at the time, where, where the people of Israel, where they would seek God for cleansing from their sin through the offering of sacrifices. And here we see that instead of Isaiah having to come and approach the throne, or approach the altar, sorry, that the angel brings the altar to Isaiah. That Isaiah doesn't have to go and, and find a coal and touch his lips, but the, 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 the opportunity for redemption, the opportunity to be made holy is brought to him. And this for us, of course, is a picture of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, that his forgiveness of our sins when we're washed clean and, and made acceptable in his sight, and the grace that's available to us through Jesus. Because Isaiah didn't receive this because he's Isaiah. 
Isaiah didn't do anything to receive this. In fact, all we see Isaiah doing is confessing his sin. Isaiah enters into the presence of God and confesses his sin before God. And God's response is to cleanse him. All he did was stand before God in his holiness and discover that in the face of a holy God, I recognize I am not holy. And God's response was, well, then let's take care of that for you. Let's take care of that for you. Let's make you holy. And in this moment, the, the seraphim, with the seraphim, Isaiah's doom and his fear, they were lifted and he turned from his human insufficiency and all of the things that would keep him from looking at himself and seeing any value in him being there in this moment. And instead of needing to get out of the presence of God, instead he hears the voice of God. That as, as he's made holy and just before God, instead of this being a moment where he needs to flee, because he's cleansed, he now gets to hear God himself speak to him. Verse 8. Then I hear, heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? God is looking for someone to be his messenger, someone to bring his message to the people. And this is where we come to our prayer for us today, this dangerous prayer that you and I can make in our own lives. As in the face of all God has done, and in the face of this question, we read this. And I said, here I am, send me. They stand as five simple syllables. Here I am, send me. They sound easy enough to offer to God. But if you want to talk about a dangerous prayer, this, friends, is a dangerous prayer. Last week we talked about how our heart being that God's will would be done, not our own. But this week we take it one step further, further where we say, God, your will be done, not mine, but God, use me to complete your will. It's not just, God, that I want your will to be done, but God, I'm willing to be used by you in order to see your will be done. Send me, Lord. Use me. Now, there's a couple things that I want to highlight for us coming out of this prayer. A couple of things that, that hopefully, as you see this, you, you can understand some, some context or, or some, some ways to internalize this in our own lives. Uh, first, Isaiah didn't ask for any details. This wasn't a give and take. It wasn't a negotiation. It wasn't, well, God, you've got my attention. What do you have in mind? Let's chat about this. It wasn't, well, what are the hours going to be? What's the pay? God, will I have to move? He didn't ask God where. He didn't ask God when or what happened. He didn't give God a counteroffer. Okay, God, well, that's an interesting offer. But what would you think about this instead? He didn't set parameters. Well, okay, God, but here's the, here's the thing. I'll be your messenger, but here's the things I'm not willing to say. Or here's the, things, here's the people I'm not willing to give a message to. He didn't give restrictions. This is why this prayer can feel so dangerous. 
God, send me, use me, is not asking for details. It's not looking to understand what's in it for me before I do this. It's not, well, God, is it going to be easy? It's not, well, God, is this something I'm going to enjoy? That before I sign the contract on the dotted line at the bottom, God, let's chat about this first and let's see if we can make this mutually beneficial. This is Isaiah saying, God, whatever you need, I'm your man. The second thing that we can see from just this little story is Isaiah shows us that anyone can pray this prayer. See, we can be tempted when we read in the Bible and we read this, and even as I'm telling you this story, you may say to yourself, well, I'm not Isaiah. He has a whole book of the Bible dedicated to him. He actually has the longest book by word count in the entire Bible dedicated to him, and you are going to compare me to him. No. Of course he can pray that. He's God's prophet. Of course he can do that. He's a Bible guy. I'm just me. But let's remember how Isaiah is introduced to us here. God shows up and gives him this vision. And Isaiah's only recognition is how unworthy he is to be there. How unfit he is to be in this moment. Woe is me. I am undone. I am sinful. This wasn't God saying, oh, thank goodness. I've been waiting for this. Finally, Isaiah is here. Finally, someone I can use. Finally, someone I can talk to. Thank God you're already ready to be here because otherwise we're in trouble. God, through his grace and mercy, takes an unworthy Isaiah and makes him worthy. See, one of the fallacies that we can get into is that the people in the Bible are special. That they're not like us. That they were never like us. That God chose them because they're special. But the reality is that James tells us that Elijah, who's probably the most remarkable person in the Old Testament in terms of miracles and all of this kind of stuff, James will tell us that Elijah was a man just like us. And Isaiah was a man just like us. He's just a person. God is known for using ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. But we can turn these ordinary people into something that we believe we can't be. God uses misfits and nobodies, and these are the ones that God calls to preach his word and advance his kingdom. Oftentimes when, when we feel God's call or the tug of the Holy Spirit to do something, our biggest struggle is the feeling of inadequacy. 
The biggest, the biggest obstacle that we face, if we feel God's leading in our lives to go and do, the biggest struggle that so many of us face is I could never do that. that that's not for me. God, you, you need to do something with somebody else because that's, that's not for me. And this is why it's so important that we see passages like this for what they are, that, that Isaiah is, is not special. He's just a sinner. But he's a sinner who's encountered God. And for each one of us who know Jesus, we, we are at the same place in our lives. It's why it's important that we turn to God with our insecurities, with our not enoughs, and even like Isaiah, with our sins. And believe that in the face of all of those things, God will look at each, each one of us and say, I can still use you. I still want to use you. See, we, we can look at Isaiah's response and, and we can contrast that with somebody else who, who from the Old Testament, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you'll probably recognize the name. We can contrast Isaiah with what happened when God called Moses. God appears to Moses in the middle of the desert in a burning bush that's not burning. It's this miraculous moment where, where this bush is on fire and it's not being consumed. And out of this bush, Moses, who's known that he's been special since his birth, has, is, is called by God and said, Moses, I have a plan for your life. This is what I want to do for you. This is who you're going to be. And Moses' response to God is two chapters of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, dedicated to Moses' insecurities and God's response. That the immediate response of Moses in the face of a miracle is, God, you've got the wrong guy. God, I can't do this. Here's why. And God will go to wonderful, patient life. If you ever wonder about how God responds in the face of our insecurities, read this. Because God doesn't throw up his hands in frustration. He doesn't say, you know, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. Never mind. But he walks through each one again and again. And as God answers him, Moses says, well, I got something else. And God says, okay, let's deal with that. Okay, one more thing. Okay, well, let's deal with that. And as God checks off each one of Moses' insecurities and insecurities, when you get to the end of, of this conversation that God and Moses are having, it ends with Moses saying, okay, God, maybe it's better if you send someone else. That's how the conversation ends. Now, ultimately, we know that God doesn't just send someone else. We, we know that, that God continues to use Moses. But that just strengthens the point. The problem for me is that I feel like far too often I'm fairly sure that my response to God's call looks a lot more like Moses than Isaiah. That in the face of, Brad, I need you to do this, my response isn't nearly often enough. Here I am. Send me. My response far too often is, well, God, I've given it some thought in the half a second since you asked. 
here's a list of reasons why it can't possibly be me that you want to use. And it's, it's much easier to see why something can't be done than it is to just jump into God's will and see what happens. But friends, what if instead, what if we prayed a dangerous, self-denying prayer of availability to our Heavenly Father? What if we were to pray, send me, Lord, use me? It's asking the Lord to give us the heart and the willingness of Isaiah to jump at the chance to serve him, whatever it ends up that he's called us to. Isaiah's response to God, Lord, send me, use me, was born out of God's mercy and grace when he was cleansed from his sin. That Isaiah, As Isaiah encountered God, God cleansed him. And in that moment, when he saw what God had done for him, it was, okay, God, then whatever you need from me, you got it. And we see all through scripture that when someone was willing to allow God to use them, God did amazing things. We, we talked about Moses and, and all of his insecurity and all of his reasons for not being used by God. And yet God uses Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. God destroyed the walls of Jericho through the faithful marching around the city again and again and again. He scattered the, Midianite, the Midianites in response to the trust of Gideon. He delivered Paul and Silas from prison as they worshipped him in trust. The stories go on and on throughout Scripture. God had something he needed to be done. And he had someone he wanted to use. And when his people trusted him and his word in response to his character and faithfulness, he did a mighty work in them and through them. And in the same way, our lives should be lived as a continual response to the love and faithfulness of God that we've experienced. That, that if we have accepted Jesus if we, are, are, if we would call ourselves a Christian, a Christ follower, if we've encountered the presence of God in our lives, we have the same testimony that Isaiah does. And out of that, our lives should be lived from the same place. So our heart can be, Lord, send me, use me. And when that's our heart, when the, when the people of God respond to his faithfulness, with trust, he does mighty and incredible works. And so for each one of us today, me, you, each one of us, I would invite us to, to say this to God. God, take my mind, my eyes, my mouth, my ears, my heart, my hands, and my feet and guide me towards your will. I trust you, God. My answer is yes. Now what's the question? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that as we, as we sit, as we stand in this room, surrounded by all of these different people, God, I'm so grateful that as I look out 
from this, God, I see a room full of people capable of incredible things. Capable of things that, that we don't even know we're capable of. God, that there are people in this room that you want to use to do things, as, as your word will tell us, that are beyond our ability to imagine. That are beyond our ability to think of. God, I thank you that in each one of our lives, God, you have a plan and a purpose that's above us and beyond us. That you have a plan for our lives that we can't comprehend. But God, we, we recognize that even in our own lives, one of the biggest obstacles for you using us is us. Is our inability to see ourselves as someone who can change the world. Our inability to see ourselves as someone who can do the incredible. Our inability to see ourselves as someone who can do the miraculous. Our ability to see ourselves as someone that God himself, the king of heaven, would look and say, I need you. And so God, we, we confess before you now, God, for each of us, we're riddled with insecurity. We're, we know why we can't. And God, we, we recognize that our minds all too often go to why we can't. And so God, in the face of that, God, I pray for each one of us here today. God, would you allow the layers of why we can't to just fall away. To just fall away from our hearts. Fall away from our minds. Fall away, fall away, fall away. And instead of looking and seeing all the reasons we can't, in Jesus' name, God, would you reveal to us how you see us. How you see each one gathered here today as not just one who can, but one who will. That, God, you will do the miraculous through us. You will change lives through us. God, you want to use us. God, help us not to stand in the way. God, I thank you that as we pray these dangerous prayers, God, we have a room full of people that are going to take on the challenge of the mission you've given us. And, God, we are going to continue to see lives changed our community changed, and this world turned upside down through you because we are willing to be used by you. Father, send us. Lord, use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes we feel so lost we think we'll never be found. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. 
And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Running like a prodigal My mama praying every night that God would save my soul Even in the dark you never 